Hello, horror fans. Welcome to Selling the Scream, a show about horror movies brought to you by one horror nerd and one horror noob. I'm Jed Donaldson, the aforementioned noob, leaving us with our nerd and co-host, uh, Josh uh, Cochise Yoakum. How's it going, Josh? It's uh, it's going well. Uh, oh, I bet you like the slammer, don't you? You love it. You love the treatment. <laughs> That'll good. make sense in a minute. <laughs> um how have you been uh you know it's it's been all right uh weather's warming up a little bit uh trying to decide if it wants to actually stay warm it was like 80 and then it dropped down to 30 and now it's kind of just kind of waffling its way back up i i don't know why uh the weather is the way it is but that's uh that's what we're dealing with here in ohio okay yeah we're we're working we got uh some some unseasonable about a snow here uh I, you know about this global warming uh, <laughs> <laughs> it can't be hot if there's snow <laughs> so my wife um, actually looking up uh stuff in portland and like i thought it snowed in portland what are they talking about like two inches is unseasonable <laughs> <laughs> it's uh it, since i moved here i don't want to speak for like all of portland for forever but uh it seems to snow like twice a year, but um, I, I'm used to Cincinnati and other places I've lived with snow where uh, we salt the roads. Uh, here, they don't want to get it into the water table, so it's like when there's snow, it's just like, well, uh, everything's shut down. And if you <laughs> <laughs> hope you don't die out there, um, yeah, it's it's been kind of crazy. I, we've been. Uh, feel like i'm talking about our, our new dog all the time in this little preamble section but this little little monster just keeps eating more and more things uh it, we had like two non-food object scares in the past like a month or so where he's he ate one of my socks like a whole sock uh like a tube sock for, for a large man um and then he uh, ate his harness off of his body, like metal tether ring and all. Um, uh, that that last one, though, uh, led me to I, I, I was reaching out to my partner and I was uh, showing her pictures of what like what little remained of the harness. Mm-hmm. And like. I don't know how this happened. I, I, I swear I'm not being cheeky here, but between the two pictures I sent. I also just sent her a link to Pornhub. Uh, and it was like very embarrassing. But, and I'm like, why? Well, how did they, it's, it's not like I have that saved in my, I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm no idiot. I don't have that saved in my history. Um, shouldn't be popping up when I'm trying to send links to pictures. <laughs> exactly. Just picture, like text message pictures. And it's between the two pictures. And at first I was like, oh, I'm, I'm glad I didn't send this, first of all, to somebody else, like my grandmother or something. Uh-huh. Uh, but also, like, I'm glad I didn't send a link to, like, a direct video. Like, oh, this is the specific thing. Like, I sent this to my partner. But then the more I thought about it, I'm like, I think it's even weirder that I just sent a link to Pornhub.com with, like, no extension. Because that's just, like, just the website. heard of it? <laughs> Here, here's something I've heard about. <laughs> All the kids are doing it. Do you know anything about this? <laughs> yeah, no, that was uh, I, I, just just confounding on a number of levels. <laughs> I, 
I don't even understand how you can do that. I, I, life finds a way. Uh, yeah, but uh, do we do we talk about uh, texting links to pornography? I mean, on this show, we should. You didn't text links to pornography. <laughs> you texted links to a website. I mean, I guess there is technically pornography on that website, but. I mean, you don't have to look hard for it. It's it's right there. <laughs> they serve it up hot and fresh right on the front page. Well, I, I mean, you know, did it awaken anything? <laughs> well, you know, gentleman, a gentleman doesn't tell these things. <laughs> you know, sometimes you need that spark. Ooh, the concept of pornography. I didn't know you had it in you. You tiger you. <laughs> Sometimes you just gotta let them know. You've heard of putting it on the glass, right? It's almost the same thing. That's what we talk about. No, you're right. You're right. You're right. Right. We we don't talk about that. We talk about uh, movies, uh, specifically horror movies, specifically movies that Josh here has chosen in an attempt to turn me into a fan of the genre. We've watched a bunch now, um, and I am uncomfortable with calling myself a noob, but. Uh, that's what I wrote down, so that's what I'm going to read every time. <laughs> uh, I mean, so, it's, it's the premise. That's the premise of the show, even if it's outlived. It's <laughs> yeah. Sometimes I just watch a horror movie. That's, that's just it's, the thing. That it's happens. like when they, they they kept making like the look who's talking movies, even though like the kid could actually talk, but he still had like the baby voices. <laughs> well, no one wants to hear what a kid has to say. Here's what Bruce Willis thinks that kid would say, but I, but, I, but I'm speaking. <laughs> but, I mean, uh, how, how bad how, do you have to feel about yourself if you don't have anything to say and have to have someone else say all your words for you? <laughs> it's like an existential dread for this. Is, should we be covering that? Look who's talking three on this. Uh, Maybe. On this, I, mean, I mean, it does have the. You've tried to sell some bullshit like that before. He does have the PP monster. <laughs> does eat your PP. I think it'd be um, even worse if, if they were just having Bruce Willis dub in the lines that the child was actually saying. Like <laughs> just, they just didn't like his take on it. He just opens his mouth and and Bruno comes out. <laughs> Um, yeah, but we are not covering Luffy Stopping 3 this time, unfortunately. Sorry. Mm-hmm. Sorry to get your hopes up, everybody. No, we are, we're covering something that's normally, speaking of not being like a noob, something that's kind of more in your wheelhouse. You are more of a giant monster person than I am. That's true. And we are covering Hugh the Wing Serpent. I like the movies, this too. A... <laughs> um, I'm, I'm a little curious before we kind of get into like, this specific movie, just like, like, what's your, who are your, who are your monsters? So uh, <laughs> how did you fall in love with this genre? What's where, where, because yeah. I, I, you've got a bunch of stuff. I've seen your, I've seen your game recollection. Yeah. I, I could not tell you when the first time I saw a giant monster movie was, um, but I know that it was a Godzilla movie. Um, and I, I'm probably going to point the finger at my my grandparents, my my dad's parents, um, because I was exposed to a lot of stuff over there um, that 
maybe was a little more unusual. Um, like they mm. would watch BBC type programming. So I, I saw a lot of uh, old Doctor Who stuff and things like that. Um, are you being served? Those type of shows. Uh, and another one of those things is my grandfather always liked movies. I don't know if he was a Godzilla fan, but I certainly know that I watched a lot of Godzilla at their place. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I feel like I watched as a kid, like my grandma had a, a tape of the one, one of the ones that was on mystery science theater, the one with sure. the, like the rocket drop kick. Yeah. Um, that's, uh, I'm sure, you, I'm sure I you know that <laughs> Godzilla versus Geigen or it could yeah, be, it's not... or it could be Godzilla versus, Oh, what's his face? The, the beetle guy. I can't remember his name now. Megalon. <laughs> that's the one. Got it. Yeah. It's a mystery science theater one. I could, I could, I could pull that one up, but like, I, yeah, I do remember like having fondness for those mystery science theaters and stuff, but like, I don't know, there was something where I would like watch them divorced of that, where it was just like, Oh, it's the, it's that same. I, huh? you know, just, <laughs> I will say just that, that. <laughs> giant monster movies from that time period were very much uh, they were very dry. They took a long time to get to what you wanted to get to, and it yeah. doesn't didn't help that the like the translation and the the writing for the localization was not always the best. But I grew up like loving dinosaurs and things like that, and it just seemed like a logical step for like a a giant dinosaur type thing to be something that I would uh, get a kick out of. Do you have a Do you have a favorite? What's your What's your favorite big monster movie? My favorite big monster movie. Um, it's like a Sophie's Choice. <laughs> whichever one I choose, the other ones have to die. <laughs> um, Spoilers for Sophie's Choice. I guess. I, <laughs> I guess, yeah. <laughs> you know that I like the the Godzilla stuff from the '90s and early 2000s. I think my favorite of those is probably the most ridiculous of those movies, which is, um, I believe it's giant monsters all out attack, which okay. I mean, they go, they go places. There's, there's aliens in it. There's also, uh, like human super soldier experience experiments and, and, and like, uh, psychics. It, they really, they load it up with as much stuff as possible. What about um, scat singing incompetent criminals? Is there was there enough of those? Uh, you know, I think most movies could use more. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm I'm trying to because this is like I'd say outside of like maybe the original Godzilla and maybe like host the host the the, the Bong Joon Ho one. Yeah. Um. This is probably my my favorite uh, cue, so I'm I'm kind of curious uh, what what you make of this one because it's Larry Cohen's an interesting guy, the uh, the writer director of this movie, and uh, I don't think this is a very typical giant monster movie. Like I, you know what though, I would I would argue that it is pretty typical of giant monster movies, at least in like format from like the era that I was watching them in, which would have been I guess. 60s and 70s when a lot of that stuff was really kind of big 
Um, yeah. But it, it it's kind of the same sort of thing where you have you have the giant monster, but then you have this human story, which takes up the vast majority of the movie, and it is wildly varying in quality. <laughs> and it yeah, kind of seems like they shouldn't go together. <laughs> I mean, I, I think I'm more used to that. Maybe just because the mystery science theater ones are the ones I see more often, where they like really got kid friendly and like yes. the, the monsters were good guys and had like you know the most annoying little kids. That was that, that was the human story. Is like right three annoying kids that tagged along with Gamera and like had to like outsmart the aliens or something. Gamera <laughs> is certainly uh, and Godzilla did it too, but Gamera is certainly like he earned his friend of children moniker. Uh, they really, they really went out of their way to try to make him a thing that kids would enjoy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, this this one's a little bit more grown up. This one, <laughs> you, put some, you, you get some some gore right up front, some mm-hmm. some some boobies right up front. <laughs> That's um, the way I like them. I don't like the boobies in the back. <laughs> Um, let's talk a little bit about uh, the genesis of, of Q here. Uh, I've kind of like talked about him a few times on the show and just how much I love Larry Cohen. Are you familiar at all with Larry Cohen? Because I think it's like, is he somebody you either kind of know or you, you don't? I don't think that I was. I, maybe I've seen some of his other stuff and just, you know, not familiar with the name. Um, yeah. But. You saying the name is not like ring any bells for me. He's mostly a writer. Like he directs a lot too. He produces, he does like the, the triple threat thing, but like mm-hmm. he gets started writing and he's like a wunderkind who's writing like TV during the golden age of television. Like the, the, the teleplays at like 17 that are getting produced on, on TV. Um, he has like a bunch of just, sells a bunch of script. I think is also one of those guys who's kind of a, a sometimes uncredited script doctor that sure. they would like that producers would just bring in to punch something up. Um, very cantankerous. Maybe the, the other thing that you might know him best for uh, would be the stuff. Um, a movie uh, I have uh, at least uh, heard of. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's alive. The, the, the killer baby movie that's got a, uh, I, I, Maybe my, I'm picturing the, the cover box in my mind right now. <laughs> Maybe my favorite horror movie tagline, and it's so simple, but it's just it's uh, the poster is just there's something wrong with the Davis baby baby dot dot dot. And then the title, it's alive. <laughs> it's pretty good. It's a good one. Um, he also uh, just. Kind of had a bit of a reputation as being a bit of a, a very cantankerous about working with suits. He did not want to be un, like controlled by what producers thought. So he tried to do stuff as like as independently as he possibly could. <laughs> he wasn't going to be held down. <laughs> um, he kind of earns this reputation a little bit by also, uh, he gets stuff done fast and cheap. And part of how he does that is uh, he doesn't get what you would call filming permits or (laughs) he just, you know, goes to New York and is just like, uh, I I think in the documentary about him, they just say, 
for one scene where they drove a, a car up on the sidewalk and people were getting very concerned that like they had not sectioned off the street for this, had not done any, you know, prep other than setting up their shots that Larry Cohen assured them, don't worry, it's New York. People will get out of the way. Uh, <laughs> I love, I mean, love the confidence. <laughs> um, Yeah. He's the like kind of king of just these like gorilla shots and just uh, using like a parade in town as like, Oh, we're going to write that into the movie now. Uh, and he made, he made this movie uh, for maybe my favorite reason to make any movie. And Jed, you know what that is yet? We've, we've I think we've, it's come up a few times. Is it spite? It's spite. It's, it's, it's spite. It's so much spite. Uh, he was set up to adapt a, Mickey Spillane novel uh, by Mike Hammer called I, the Jury, uh, was filming in New York, uh, kind of realized that the producers didn't have their shit together and got like really frustrated at them. So he uh, he basically just tells all the crew, everybody go to the producers and ask to get paid right now. that causes the producers to lose confidence in him for some reason. And they fire, they fire, fire Larry Cohen. Uh, he has most of the crew on his side because why wouldn't you be on his side? If uh, yeah. <laughs> this guy is like, Hey, you're not going to get paid. You need to figure that out right now. Um, and his spite drove him to spend two days in, in, in screenwriting and pre-production and start filming this movie so that he could get it out before I, the jury came out. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. My God, he did. Uh, He got this out the week before I, the jury (laughs) premiered and beat it. He beat beat the, they they both didn't do tremendous box office, but he only wanted to beat I, the jury. (laughs) I mean, you set your goals. (laughs) And then you achieve them, I guess. Um, I think his movies, just because of that, and he's in interviews. He he passed away a couple years ago, but like he's just very uh, Borch Belt comedian. It's just very rapid fire delivery, and yeah. uh, is able to kind of charm and bamboozle his way into these situations where he can film without a permit. Um, his movies pop for that. And I think one thing I'll say about like Q is like love or hate this movie. You cannot say that there's not a lot of ideas in it. That's factual. I'll agree with you. (laughs) It has got a lot going on. And like Larry Cohen does not want to be bored. (laughs) He, he, like changed this on the fly. Um, Part of why he changed it is that he cast, Michael Moriarty. Um, Michael Moriarty at this time was like uh, kind of a Broadway and TV movie legend. He was kind of being groomed to be like the next acting great. He comes from the same school as like Robert De Niro. Yeah. Uh, Incredibly difficult to work with. (laughs) It's just a, a... giant pain in the ass and he's kept working because he's so talented. But like, I think like some of his performances like this one 
I'm, I'm kind of curious because I, you sent me a text about his performance. I want to, um, do you want to share what the context of, uh, content of your text was about his performance? Yeah, let me, let me pull up the exact, uh, the exact quote here. Let's see here. Where is it at? This is great audio. <laughs> okay, quick. Make jokes while you're doing it. Stretch, stretch. <laughs> something really funny. <laughs> I I believe it was something to the effect of best part of the movie was trying to figure out if Michael Moriarty was on the spectrum or not, or his character, I should say. <laughs> I love this performance. It's like, I think it's phenomenal, but he is making, he is committing so hard <laughs> yeah. just Larry Cohen saying like more choices more yeah he's uh, he's well, let's just describe the character I guess he's like a, a down on his luck kind of two bit con right like he, he's doing minor uh, minor crimes he, he just spent some time in jail um, yeah and basically, he looks like a schlub. Nothing's going his way. Well, he's got he's living with his girlfriend, who's like you know, like I think for a, for a Jimmy Quinn type is a real catch. This this Candy Clark's Joan, who's um, got a soft spot for the for the sob story, and uh, she just wants to fix him, Josh. <laughs> But yeah, he's like a he's he's a two bit con who's trying to go straight by playing some music, and when that doesn't immediately succeed, he goes back to crime. I mean, um, he, we first meet him in a meeting with other people where he's negotiating to be the driver for their heist, and then we see him go to the the, the piano playing interview. Well, he, he tells them he tells the the hoods that he's got other prospects. That he yeah. doesn't, he, he's not going to say one way or the other. Like he, he gives his terms, which his terms, I love his terms are like immediately shot down. Like I want 20%. No, fuck you. This is what you get. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, um, he's trying. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I, I'm, I'm curious if that was like the, what's the, the impetus for the, if, if he's on the spectrum. I know he's like, He's he's very exaggerated and he's playing this guy so big, like there. I mean, there's a lot of that. There's a lot of like, I, I'd say it's more physical mannerisms than like anything that he's actually saying. Although I think there are I couldn't I should have written some stuff down, like some examples. But I, there were several scenes where I was just like. This is. This is not a normal way to act. This is not the take I would have assumed someone would do in the situation that he's in. Yeah, and I, I, I think, again, this is the Michael Moriarty working together where, like, that's that's Michael Moriarty's instinct is to, like, keep wearing new things in. Like, the, 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 he, in the original script, he's not a, a jazz piano player. He's, like, uh, I don't know if he's, like, even supposed to be, like, a junkie, but they're just, like, they're they're doing these scenes. They're running these scenes between, like, setups. And Larry's just, like, no, Peter, more, 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 more. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
but got him on board by just basically seeing him in a restaurant and like a f- saying like, Oh, that's Michael Moriarty. And like his friend didn't know who Michael Moriarty was and just started like loudly praising him. So that <laughs> we're here. But, oh, by the way, I have a script I wrote in two days. Please be my movie. Oh, that's great. Yeah. It's weird. Like then I'm familiar with Michael Moriarty by name, but I cannot for the life of me think of anything that I've seen him in besides this. Um, I mean, he's in a lot of, he's in the stuff. Um, so he worked with Larry Cohen like four times. Um, probably the most mainstream things that people know him for is he's in, uh, Courage Under Fire and he's in, um, uh, the, the, he was in the first four seasons of Law and Order. He's the, he was the DA before Sam Watterson on, on Law and Order. Okay. And, uh, Again, speaking of being hard to work with, he told the people on Law and Order uh, after he was getting increasingly frustrated that either he goes or Dick Dick Wolf has to go. <laughs> Dick Wolf, the creator, executive producer of Law and Order. That's a, I mean, shoot your shot. <laughs> That's bold. <laughs> you tell you tell him. Well, who am I telling exactly? Uh, yourself, then, I guess. Tell tell yourself that. Okay, well, I've considered it. <laughs> I'm not going to leave. <laughs> I choose me? Weird how that works. Um, we, we, but that's not the only star power we got in this movie, right? We got, no, we got David Carradine. We got, we got Bill. Yeah. Wasn't, was not expecting to see him in this. I didn't, didn't know no. he was in here. <laughs> no, no Chad, just I know it's gonna be real easy to make fun of you know David Carradine's fate, but we don't we're we're above that here, right? We're not we're not gonna get uh hung up on kinda, it. Yeah, we're not gonna get, you know, choked up trying to stop ourselves from doing it. <laughs> no. no right? I think I think we're just gonna, you know, autoerotic asphyxiation, right? <laughs> That's a thing I, I mean, can say. <laughs> um I, he's a guy who like uh you know had a had a very interesting life his, his dad's john carradine the the premier like knob twiddler of 40s and 50s <laughs> horror like when you when you want to do horror you, you try to get you know boris karloff if boris karloff won't do it you get bella lugosi oh bella lugosi's not gonna do it claude rains john carradine john carradine will do it great <laughs> wonderful. He's he's not high on the list, but he's on the list. <laughs> um, David Carradine and Larry Cohen actually uh, they they knew each other. Like David Carradine really didn't have any interest in doing this particular movie, but he wanted to work with Larry, and uh, they were they were in the military together. They worked in the uh, the chaplain's office that David Carradine painted murals. And Larry Cohen wrote the uh, the sermons, and then they did like a touring of the military bases production of Once Upon a Mattress. So that was their our brave boys in blue. <laughs> All right, yeah. <laughs> Thank you for your service. <laughs> um, were you expecting Richard Roundtree? Shaft, I did not see coming. <laughs> I think that's fair to say. I, did. I mean, he has one bad mother. Shut your mouth. 
just talking about Richard Roundtree. Um, yeah, no, I, another thing you'll see with, with Larry Cohen movies is there's a, a lot of great character actors want to work with him and be in his movies because he loves character actors. Uh, so he gets them for like, all the speaking parts, and then basically any part that's not important, uh, such as at the beginning of the movie when we have this window washer, uh, you know who would make a pretty good window washer? The window washer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's got the experience. <laughs> you can't teach that. <laughs> From, so let's, let's, uh, let's, let's talk through this one. Let's, uh, this very, uh, it's an 80s movie. I think it kind of feels like a 70s movie, though. Is that I I would say that I had the thought running through my head while watching it that this felt uh, very old school. Yeah. And in the and, way that like, the, you know, the way the monster looks and the way it's presented and, and like the shots that they use for the creature interacting with the with the people. It, um, it seems like a more modern movie than the filmmaking techniques that are on display would lead you to believe. Yeah. And I think it's part of it is that, um, like Larry Cohen was a big fan of all those, like, like the King Kongs and, yeah. um, those early monster movies. And also a lot of his writing is like Westerns and noirs and police procedurals. So a lot of his like horror stuff that he does is basically like a horror movie, but police procedural. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, it's got that that feel to it too which i think is like a it it feels like that modern well i say modern but like the 70s 80s like gritty new york real movie but with classic monster footage background yeah it it took me longer than i care to really admit to to come up with this description but um i I believe i told you you know through text message that uh a lot of this time was I was spent trying to come up with uh, nicknames for the extras here because it all looks like they're part of the Beastie Boys sabotage music video. <laughs> I think my favorite like people watching scene is when the um so our, our monster's a giant uh it's Quetzalcoatl it's, yeah uh, you know the uh the titular cube. I, a, a giant uh flying plumed lizard uh that's that you know they, they they just identify as a bird for most of the movie um <laughs> i mean despite and, all evidence to the contrary yeah. <laughs> um but after he's taken like uh i think it's the second victim there's the there's the the scene where like the blood is raining down on people and it's just like people of new york and i i, I really wonder if this is just like Larry just like throwing just, balloons filled with like red food coloring. He just he just went up to like the thirtieth floor and just started uh, <laughs> dripping stuff off of balconies. <laughs> I mean, it sounds like it's in character for him. So, <laughs> so there's like a a Chris Christopherson looking guy. There's like kind of there's a Paul McCartney like oh Joe the food will be fit. Joe Lennon was shot too. No no. I I think this is kind of a cool scene though with the the blood dripping down and people on the street just like reacting to getting rained on. Yeah, no, there's a lot of like uh really cool crowd reaction. Like 
we're joking about it now, but when we start talking about the the Chrysler building in this movie, uh, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> Um, there, there are some, some more stolen shots that need to be discussed. <laughs> um, but like the, the monster stuff, the, the one thing that is different about it is up until this point, anytime you'd have a stop motion monster like this, um, there's a very particular way to do it. And Larry Cohen had never really worked with that before. So, uh, he goes to the, the, effects guys it's, it's the um Will, randall william cook who worked on the thing worked on ghostbusters um and was like i want to do this monster movie and they're like okay well this is how we would have to do it we have to set up the shots like this and we have to do this and larry cohen's just like oh no it's done like you just need to put your monster in my movie <laughs> That's uh, totally how it works <laughs> <laughs> Um, but they, that's how they had to work. Like, but I guess he yeah. had enough foresight to like leave enough space, like in the helicopter shots, like, which they were really concerned. Like, no, the, usually when you see monsters, it's like a static shot for a reason. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. So, so the man is not entirely, uh, a loose cannon. He, he knows what he's doing to some extent. I think he kind of lucked into that one maybe a little bit. Like, <laughs> knowing to leave the space was great, but, like, I'm sure, you know, they probably could have done things a little bit better. Sure, <laughs> if they'd been included for the entire process. <laughs> um, so, yeah, the, the, the monsters introduced, like, the, we got this opening scene with the window cleaner and, like, the the these peeping on the same woman in the same office building, like, Every day, uh, a clean ass window. <laughs> There's a few things I really like about this scene. Even maybe not the the acting of the window washers. Like, oh my baby, I love you, I love you, I love you. <laughs> <laughs> that's uh, that's how window washers talk, Josh. <laughs> it's like it's like their cant. It's like their. <laughs> Yeah, window washer speak. You have to like know the, the thing before they let you into their rooftop club. Yeah, you know, um, I I liken it to uh, Brad Pitt and Snatch. <laughs> but I I love the um the sound of the screeching being like set up for the bird for the what we think is a bird attack. Yeah. Um, and like, were you expecting the gore to pop off like that? No, I mean that's like the very first scene we see. It it, it literally comes in hot. <laughs> <laughs> he gets his head snatched off, and it's just a, a like a headless body slumped down, just spurting blood against the window. It's uh, it's it's it, it makes itself known very quickly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it does. <laughs> and we're introduced to our our two detectives who are trying to figure out what's going on. We have uh, Richard Roundtree's pal. Who's like the uh, the old school hard nose uh, by the by the book on this? Uh, who who is a rivalry with David Carradine's Shepherd? Who's the like more they out there hippie cop? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they're working together, but they like they seem it seems to be a more of a rivalry than a partnership. Sure. They definitely don't seem to like each other very much as the movie goes along. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, um, 
we, we talked a little bit about David Carey. I actually kind of like him in this movie, especially as a counterpoint to Michael Moriarty, because it's like he's he's kind of going for like a Steve McQueen thing here. He's just like he's too cool for this shit. I, you know, I was going to say it's a little bit of um, almost Columbo, too, when he's doing like the interrogations and stuff. Yeah, he's he's asking like good leading questions and uh, just kind of you know, disarming him with uh, with charm. Yeah, um, I, I think my one of my my favorite ADR thing in this movie is later on, because um, basically like this whole movie, uh, Shepard's just kind of like cracking wise and like, you know, he's got these crazy theories and he's he's working on the case, but he's kind of, again, like disarming people with his charm and stuff and being real sly and kind of whispering jokes under his breath. And later on. uh when they're attacking the monster, one of the police officers says, like, Shepard only mixed with the jokes when he's scared. And I'm just like, has he been supposed to be terrified this whole time then? Because that's like I, all I didn't he get that read at all. Did <laughs> 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 so he get jealous of all that character development that uh, Michael Moriarty had? And he's like, wanted that added in. Like, <laughs> say I'm only funny when I'm scared. <laughs> I can see it. <laughs> um but they're trying to figure out what happened and they, they because they can't find the head um and and this <laughs> I, I i love that this is like is the lead up so we got we got those characters interest and then we introduced like jimmy quinn we already kind of talked about the scene he's getting the he's getting set up to be a wheel man in a diamond heist is, but uh, he wants to like more dogs <laughs> Yeah, it's. I mean, it's pre-Reservoir Dogs, Reservoir Dogs. It's like you know, a bunch of bunch of uh, New York Italian character actors sitting around uh, eating Chinese and playing crimes. Uh, the the two main guys who are like his, you know, quote unquote friends, like his his connection is in here. This the uh, yeah. Doyle and Webb. Uh, Webb's got like one of those voices that's like really only. <laughs> like the New York Italian guys have that like like I, I always wonder what those guys sound like as kids like if it's just like I need to go in my friend's house and get <laughs> we're playing bass all day wonder no more I think you nailed it <laughs> um, but again we're just like we're interested to this guy who's the schlub and then he his other job prospect. Oh my god, I love this scene so much. Uh, he goes to his the bar his girlfriend works at because they're they, they're looking for live music, but they haven't advertised it yet. And it's like, oh, I just uh, thought I'd try out my wares. And uh, but if I was auditioning to like play music in a club, like I maybe wouldn't lead with scat. Like, <laughs> <laughs> you know what though, honestly. It's probably best to be true to yourself, because if what they're going to get is scat, then they need to know that. Um, even if you're not into it, which this, the owner of this bar clearly is not. No, not into it. <laughs> the the growling dog was uh, happened on set. That was not a scripted thing. So. <laughs> Um, and like David Carradine being there wasn't like in the script either because he pops in and we have our moment like kind of before 
their lives intersect because of a giant monster right. where their lives intersect. Uh, and he, <laughs> he, he, says, he sees sounds pretty good to me. What the fuck do you know? <laughs> <laughs> well, look, I don't want to talk about how this dude let him know he didn't get the job. Like, wow. <laughs> Stone <laughs> I mean, cold. <laughs> can you imagine, like, they, them pulling this on American Idol or something? They just walk over to a jukebox, stare you in the eye, <laughs> put a quarter in <laughs> I mean, I think I'd understand what they were uh, trying to say, but ouch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, as a as a shitty uh, late teen, like early twenties youth, I went to a uh, pool hall that mainly had a like kind of classic biker music, like your you know your your ZZ Tops and your uh, your seventies rock on this jukebox, but they also just kind of randomly had a uh, Nine Inch Nails uh, downward spiral. <laughs> So I played album. reptile. <laughs> All right. I played reptile, and the the uh, owner of the establishment came out and unplugged the jukebox. That's <laughs> <laughs> uh, well. it sends a message. <laughs> <laughs> um. So the the whole setup of this is that. This monster, this this Quetzalcoatl, uh, is being summoned back to New York by like these ritual murders, uh, and like has an now taken death up cult. <laughs> I actually <laughs> kind of I like the premise of how this whole thing gets kickstarted. Like, I would have yeah. liked to have dug a little more into that than the police procedural stuff. Yeah, it's really backgrounded. It's really like it's weird to say that about like a a skinned body and then it jump to a uh, a scene of the person being skinned. But it's yeah. like I mean, it's, really, it's, all you see of the of the like the ritual murders are the police finding the bodies afterwards. Yeah, they're working on the case and they're developing their theories, but all that is kind of backgrounded once. Uh, it, Basically, Howard kind of starts trying to connect the dots between the these weird incidents that are happening, the the blood raining from the sky, people going missing off rooftops, heads disappearing from bodies, mm-hmm. and the other case. He's trying to put these pieces together. So you this Aztec death cult, like you get the weird things from it, like that you the the, the victims have to be like willing, and uh, which I think leads to another just favorite funny part of my the very end of the movie. The, the, the end of the movie. <laughs> <laughs> um the, the victims have to be like willing human sacrifices for this. And there's like one is skinned and worn as the skin and other ones like the hearts offered up. And then it's like a, a re- signal to return to this being that's worshipped as a deity, which they also kind of posit could be you know dragons and other cultures. There's a lot of like David Carradine walking around exposition scenes. <laughs> I feel like they they do lay a lot of groundwork, um, maybe more than they actually need to. But I'm I'm not dissatisfied with them trying to explain why this monster is here and kind of give a theory yeah. as to you know maybe this thing has been around for a long time and we just you know only know about it from the margins of our histories and, and legends. 
Yeah. And I, I think my favorite bit of, uh, of just, just giving you enough, just like, okay, here's something I don't to explain how this is happening is the uh, idea that, uh, comes out, uh, when, when, like during the midday sun and he, it flies like directly right. in line with the sun. So it doesn't be, it's not seen in me. I, I like that, that, that's the sort of stuff that I think a lot of movies need more of, which is just a little acknowledgement of how kind of ridiculous the premise is and an attempt to justify how it would work in real life. Yeah. Um, and I, I think th- th- this movie does just enough of that. It's, it's, it's like a 90 minute movie too. So it's like, it, it, it breezes you along. Um, this, uh, giant flying plume serpent has taken up residence at the top of the Chrysler building, um, which Larry Cohen did not write into the script. He didn't want to scare off investors, but he basically the the Chrysler folks got desperate enough (laughs) after he kept like asking them if they wanted to do it and like agreed for $15,000 they could film there. So this is like all, uh, pretty much all the stuff that takes place in the Chrysler building and around the Chrysler building is, is the actual Chrysler building. They're like, they're up there looking down over Manhattan. Like I wondered if they uh, actually had like shots from up high because there were a couple of them that, that looked close enough to real that I, I had my, my questions about it. The, um, I think the only thing that's not, and this is another great Larry Cohen story is that, uh, like the actual nest, the actual bit where they climbed up the ladder and there's the egg and like the, the aperture at the top. That's mm-hmm. not the real top of the Chrysler building. That's not, it wasn't big enough for them. So they like that. That's a set that was a, um, abandoned police station that they like were able to license from the city. Um, uh, but they left their shit there and like years later, <laughs> it, it was found and like, there was a panic as people found this like giant, giant egg. egg. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> Some real war of the world shit. <laughs> yeah. Well, also using the real Chrysler building, uh, for some of those shots where they're firing like machine guns off of the Chrysler building, they achieved that by firing machine guns off of the Chrysler <laughs> building and like not the people in the Chrysler building knew, but like not a lot of other people knew and like shells were just raining down the street. below. <laughs> so a lot of the panicked crowd footage in this movie is like people running <laughs> from like a possible terrorist attack at the Chrysler. Building. <laughs> all right. Yeah. So, all right. So loose cannon. All right. <laughs> I'll take back what I said earlier. <laughs> um, so, there's a there's a few more victims of uh of of Quetzalcoatl. We got the the topless sunbather being being peeped on. The the most gratuitous part of the movie um, because it's not like that was a private balcony. That was a public space. You know. She just decided to be naked in. Um, the, the the peeping Tom, like where does that rank for you on the Corey Feldman scale of person being excited about seeing this? I think he could have been more excited. Those are pretty nice. <laughs> also, I wonder where he was to look at her because that building was pretty tall. <laughs> oh man. Uh, so 
our, our, our main central conflict, this, you might, you'd be mistaken if you thought the main conflict and mid central plot thread of this movie was about the Aztec death cult. <laughs> no, it's uh, really an afterthought for a large portion of the movie. And even when it's come to find out that it actually is an Aztec death cult, the people in charge want nothing to do with it. Yeah. <laughs> um, which I again like another thing I love about Larry Cohen is like he's uh I, I think he makes some political statements here. I think he's uh he's expressing some anger at the system a little bit. Um it's I mean, clearly this he had Jimmy something Quinn in mind. Story. Yeah, it's a, it's this Jimmy Quinn story about this 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 schlub who's forced into this bank robbery. He's just gonna be the wheel man, but he's he's handed a gun, he's made to go inside. It, we don't see what happens, but it goes wrong, and he leaves with the uh, kind of hurt with the uh, uh, with with the the diamonds. Uh, he doesn't have the keys for the car. He has to make his getaway on foot. We have this extended getaway where he loses the diamonds, and he's uh, panicking and uh, wants to go talk to his lawyer. He wants to go his his. I can't imagine. I mean, I guess. The, the Chrysler building was in dire straits at this time. They might have this guy's lawyer. <laughs> Chrysler <laughs> building. <laughs> um, but he flees to the Chrysler building like another chase because he tries to get into his lawyer's office and like alerts the security guard. So he has to like run to the top of the buildings. He climbs all the way up into the parapets uh, because he's, he's, he's afraid of everything, but he's never been afraid of heights. I, and, that that was a little bit of a tell don't show, I think. <laughs> I mean, yeah, he seems like a schlub, but they didn't paint him as like a coward afraid of everything, <laughs> like jumping at his shadow. I think that comes maybe a little bit later, like especially just how like once he finds all this stuff, like initially how he's panicking uh, with with Joan and when Doyle and Webb come like. You know, he's not he's not handling that fear very well. Those responses seem legitimate. Those guys were coming to hurt him. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But he's, uh, you know, I I, I think it's. I, I appreciate him announcing that because I think it makes later on when everybody else is scared up there and he's Mm -hmm. actually able to play it cool. He's able to like flip flip the the tables and kind of like exploit their fears. Um, I think that's really cool. I think it's a, you know, it's a, it's a neat, a neat setup for that. Um, but he finds he, the, 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 the serpent's not there, but the, the nest and the egg is, and he finds bodies. He finds uh, some pretty grisly bodies up here. He finds like that have been picked at by the pigeons too. Oh. Yeah. So it's a terrible way to go. Well, I'm sure they weren't like killed by the pigeons. <laughs> you don't know that. <laughs> Why else would this bird bring it back? It's a big this bird. bird just brought me up here. He's a face friendly guy. What are these pigeons these looking pigeons. at? <laughs> <laughs> um, but but uh, the the body that he finds has like a charm bracelet on it, which is just important later on because uh, he's he's gonna he's gonna leverage this information. Uh, but not, not not before first he uh, he goes back home and and has this like this is the hero of our movie and I I still find him to be a sympathetic character and it's like crazy to me because it's like 
he's he's this cartoon character of a guy who's but he's like so beat up on and like you you kind of get it somewhat but yeah. then like you find out he's a junkie who like had hit joan in the past like yeah. later on is just casually dropping like hard r n-words <laughs> yeah i mean they they do a lot it's to time. as someone who did not have a lot of choices and was yeah. not able to make the best of the ones that he did have yeah i think it's it's real telling like i, I will gets maybe my favorite scene in this movie, but where like he he lays into all the people in the city and he's leveraging this information and uh like his final outburst about like the first time he went to jail, it wasn't it wasn't his fault. And all the all the other time the other time it was, but that first time Yeah. Um yeah, I, I, there's just there's so much like pathos on display here. I think this is like, you know, Michael Moriarty just gets given free range to do whatever. He I mean, does. yeah, they they gave him an opportunity, the opportunity to make as like as many choices as he wanted with this character, and I think the character is better off for it. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I, another detail I love about him, like finding the nest up there, and like after he's kind of gotten away, but before he realizes like there's bodies, is that he's just pissing off the Chrysler building. He's just out there pissing into the wind. He's not scared. (laughs) Um, There's there's a bit more like bird attacky stuff. There's the I love the the construction worker who does like a a tumble. There's there's two (laughs) groups of construction workers that get victimized by the bird. There's the uh, the guy who gets his lunch stolen, but the the second guy who does like the freeze frame pose and then does like a tumble yeah <laughs> that's my favorite um there's also the uh the guy who gets taken out of the pool after going to the cocaine push-up competition <laughs> so well, you guys brought me up here just to watch you do push-ups <laughs> having a great yeah. time <laughs> like is that a thing that happens is that has that ever happened to you larry <laughs> let's go up to my roof i'm gonna do push-ups i gotta Um, assume he's writing from experience (laughs) um but the scene when he comes home the scene where uh where quinn comes home and he's like recounting uh his day to joan and like Mm -hmm. asking for a drink and She's going to, oh, and if you if you get drunk again and you hit me, I'm going to break a dish over your head. And mm-hmm. um, very, very one of these days, bang to the moon. <laughs> <laughs> but like he's also like, you know, breaking down and like he sees some shit. It's, it's not a yeah. good day for him. <laughs> and like, I love that she also rightly calls out that like. Oh, your your terrible friends are like at the police right now, like spilling their guts, and they're saying it's all your idea. And when he finally does get brought in, that's like exactly what happens. Yeah, <laughs> they said it was yeah, your idea. He's the perfect person to pin it on. <laughs> yeah. Um. But but speaking of his friends, he uh he gets his uh his kind of first moral moment here is uh this this. They they uh they come to to find the diamonds because they're they're not gonna believe that he he lost those diamonds. 
They were they were valued at like eighty thousand dollars. I don't know why you wouldn't believe that he would lose the diamonds. Why did you give him the diamonds? <laughs> I totally yeah. believe that he would lose the diamonds. <laughs> I don't know if the other guys got out of that robbery. <laughs> it definitely seems like some shit went down at the robbery. Um but yeah, the the Doyle and Webb as two friends come and they're like they're they're banging on the door and he's like fleeing out on the fire escape to his own acapella scatting <laughs> on the soundtrack. Hey, I'm just saying there is definitely a case to be made for him being on the spectrum. <laughs> <laughs> You're saying if this was like um, in a modern update, he should be like really into Sonic the Hedgehog. Probably, yeah, probably super into Sonic the Hedgehog. <laughs> Definitely a choice he would make. Um, the the second victim with the with the heart removed, and you get like a little bit of the the ceremony there with that that Aztec. Uh, I I do like uh, Powell's line there, where like the after he sees the body with the heart removed, he's just like, nowadays, you just got to take the, the wafer and the wine. So I call being civilized. <laughs> I, I like, I like the, the kind of piecing together the, the Aztec murder cult rituals yeah. in the background. Um, it, it really struck me as very funny towards the end when he finally presents all his findings and basically just, gets told to shut the fuck up. <laughs> no one wants to hear it. Despite the fact that he literally has proof of what's going on. Yeah, it's just like, you already had to believe you already had to believe in a giant bird today. It's just a bird. It's not a god. <laughs> it's also <laughs> the police chief. <laughs> kind of a yeah. weird choice for him to be like a very European man. <laughs> Very, very Irish. So yeah. Irish, in fact, it's the the brother of the guy who wrote Angela's Ashes. All right. <laughs> um, yeah, the, the, there's a lot of I, the other police guy that always like gets me is the um, the very red faced, bushy beard Captain Kangaroo looking uh, oh, yeah. police yeah. officer. The one who, when they show up for the and find the the Aztec murder in process, when the victim gets up and says like, "No, it's cool, I want to die," he just blows him away and says, "He was coming at me." <laughs> it's a very South Park way to handle it. Um, which you know, again, might be some sly wink and a nod state of the of the police that that Larry Cohen's writing about. <laughs> um, but back to this thing with the Doyle and Webb, like they, of course they catch up with Jimmy. He's not, he's not getting away from them. <laughs> they like beat him up a little bit. They go up into the Chrysler building. They knock out the security guard, uh, and they go up. And, uh, I mean, this is kind of the same where it's like, he's really, he picks up that they're scared to be up there and the whole dynamic shifts as they're getting higher and higher. And, you know, he's like, well, look out here. Look at all of Manhattan. Why don't you look down? Yeah, he's really just kind of <laughs> kind of rubbing in their faces. <laughs> he's he's got a little bit of power and it's going right to his head. Yeah, because he's, he's told them that he that he hid the diamonds up there. Mm -hmm. So they're they go up and 
They don't trust each other so much so that I love that one of them climbs up and gets attacked by Q and killed. And the other one is convinced that like his friend found a secret way out of the Chrysler building or something. <laughs> is, he a shoot up there? <laughs> is there a fun slide? I want to go on it. Um, but no, they both they both go up and get et by the bird, um, and Jimmy is just screaming, "Eat him!" as he climbs down the stairs. Uh, it's 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 wonderful, just and also immediately morally absolving himself, like well, you know, it was uh, they went up there, I did what I had to do. It's it's not me. It's uh, <laughs> I didn't kill him. The bird killed him. Yeah, yeah, and I I think like a lot of that stuff is kind of played as like cowardice especially like once he has this information the police are trying to get him out of him and like it's like well if i if i just give this information to the police like i don't get anything like i go to jail (laughs) (laughs) um so you know he he gets he gets taken in and he overhears all the stuff about the the uh the the murder case and the bird and then the them looking for whatever it is that's causing all these deaths and talking about it being possibly being like a, a big animal and he knows he's got some power. He does a little bit of time and thinks about it and tells his girlfriend about the plan. She's thrilled. Yeah. She loves it. <laughs> she's on board of me. <laughs> no, she's, you know, telling him that he needs to do the right thing. It's, it doesn't matter if he'll do his time. It's, and he's like, well, you know, if, they, if I tell them, they're just going to get promoted and they're already trying to pinch me for this. Um, so he gets his lawyer and they, uh, they, they try to strike up a deal to get the the police chief and the commissioner and all the other guys in the room. And, uh, oh man, I, this scene for many reasons, just, oh my God, I love it so much. Um, I think the, the thing I love the most, and I hate to say this because I mean, I think Michael Moriarty is just every choice he makes should be the best, but the actual best thing is that uh, Shepard's there, David Carradine's there, sketching what he thinks Quetzalcoatl will look like. <laughs> it looks like he actually drew that on that paper. <laughs> really showing off his artistic prowess. <laughs> Those murals he was painting. <laughs> it's, uh, I, it's a very, two very silly child drawing versions of the giant monster. Yeah, they're they're atrocious. <laughs> if my kid brought it home, it wouldn't make it onto the fridge. No, no, you throw that away. <laughs> Do better. Um, but no, I, I love how this scene's played because the first thing he does, he goes in and he's like trying to shake everybody's hands, like, oh, like we're all equals here, right? Right. And they don't want anything to do with them. They don't want anything the fuck to do with them. And that just like changes his whole approach. It changes his, what he, he asks for, um, to be absolved of any, any crimes and also anything that they don't know about yet. (laughs) (laughs) Which is phenomenal. It's a good ask. (laughs) (laughs) And again, like the, I think the Larry Cohen-ness of it is not just to say like, I want that, but to say, I, what did Gerald Ford give him? I want a Nixon-like pardon. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then he wants a million dollars 
tax-free because he ain't never paid taxes. He's not going to start now. Just, you can pay the taxes on the taxes. You work that out on your end. <laughs> just laying that out for the police officers. <laughs> and then he wants, uh, because he's saying like, oh, you know, it's actually like worth way more than that. You've already authorized 10 million. You've already, and they're, they're not saying no. Yeah. Um, but what he asked for less is he wants the rights. He wants he wants the body. He wants the pictures. He wants everything from it. Smart. Um, I, I think he's got a pretty good plan for <laughs> what he wants. I think his lawyer really fucks him. <laughs> yeah, he, he definitely had a Lionel Hutz this, this Chrysler building lawyer. But does does not read very far into this contract phrase like, oh yeah, that sounds great. <laughs> um but yeah, they, then that's like again, I, I already mentioned it before, but I, I, I love how he ends the scene, just getting like letting his emotions get the better of having to be like restrained because he's so furious at uh at, at Powell, Richard Roundtree, who he'd already had an interaction with earlier, and Powell's like screaming like no, no. <laughs> Yeah, like nobody bum rap me. I don't want. I don't want to bit bum rap by some cop like him. Planted some coke on me. And it, like names the two years, three months. Yeah, he definitely Which, seems like, like he's got some uh, some beef. He's got an axe to grind. Yeah. <laughs> you're you're giving him the the Wendy's lady treatment. The where's the beef? I mean. I was talking about street beef, but. <laughs> um, so he uh, he he gets <laughs> he goes downstairs. He goes he's gonna buy coffee for for Shepard, and this is kind of like what you're talking about before, like the Columbo ness of Shepard, where he kind of plays him up a little bit. He says, "Hey, I actually met you before. I, I saw you play music. You were good." They have a conversation about it, and then he's like. Hey, just do the right thing, or like, <laughs> like then, he literally had yeah. him about to spill the beans. <laughs> Powell comes in, yeah. I I I, I love the because uh, before Powell comes in, he's he's very now he's like confident. He's like, oh, your girl left you. She can go shake her tambourine someplace else. Uh, I, I'm gonna start using that. <laughs> it's not bad. Um, but, but the first time they get interrupted is by the, by the newspaper, which again, like political Larry Cohen, current, current events, Larry Cohen, like you go get, what's his name? Rupert, Rupert Murdoch. You bring him down here. Bring Rupert here. Put his arm around me. Yeah. I didn't expect the, uh, the Rupert Murdoch name drop here. Yeah. Still alive, by the way. That's, uh, I, I, I did it. Google that one, you know, yeah. sad but true. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, he's he's getting ready to he's given the details of what his plan would be. Like I, again, he's like he's a very sympathetic guy, but I, I love just the first. I'd get four helicopters carrying a giant ten a canvas tent, <laughs> like a, like a Ringling Brothers you know. tent. <laughs> <laughs> to which, like, Shepard's just like, oh, you would, would you? <laughs> it's a good plan. <laughs> and it would have worked. He keeps asking about it. Keeps asking about it later on. You didn't, why didn't you bring the tarp? Why didn't you bring? 
<laughs> he's like he's telling like it's a building you know it's got a it's got a point um before Powell comes in and he's like oh no I'll take I'll uh, I'll take you there um I I find it interesting that he is you know a part of all these like he's a part of the 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 criminal job that they're talking about the early, early parts of the movie. And then he's part of this, you know, going to go find the bird and everybody keeps wanting him to do stuff that he's not really, uh, equipped to do. They keep trying to hand him guns. It's like, stop. Guns. <laughs> um, yeah, the, uh, I, I'm just looking at some of the notes from that last scene and, uh, the, the, the boardroom negotiation, but I forgot that he like tells them when they try to give him a, a pad of paper that he, he brought his own little paper. <laughs> it's such, such a great little detail. <laughs> um, but uh, this is also like before uh, they go to the building, this is where Powell gets told like his report's not going to be. He needs to not connect the two things. He needs to, you've got a death cult and you've got a giant bird and those things aren't connected. <laughs> I don't understand why though. <laughs> <laughs> um, they, they, they did use real cops in the scene where they, they storm up the, uh, into the Chrysler building. I, I wonder if it's, was a real police officer who's like seen drinking a Budweiser in the background. <laughs> Even the mime cop? <laughs> <laughs> we haven't gotten to Mime Cop. Do you want to just jump right to Mime Cop? We should. <laughs> He's certainly important in the movie. It's a, it's a real mic drop of a moment to make that choice, I think. Like, to smash cut to undercover Mime Cop. Yeah, I'm here at the medical school. It's just like you said. <laughs> Somebody walks by, and man in box. <laughs> I... My favorite part about the mime cop, mime cop is that once his job is over with, he still wants to be wearing that makeup. He makes no attempt to even lightly brush it off. He's a mime for the rest of the movie. Mime first, cop second. I'm mime cop. <laughs> the, the guys on the force made fun of his Amadeus shirt and his mime makeup, but look, look who solved it. Um, another great choice is that it's just there's just this random building that has a model of the Statue of Liberty on top of it. That was, <laughs> the, that was the model that they used to make the actual statue, Josh. <laughs> yeah, it wouldn't be in France, right? No. <laughs> um, I mean, say what you want about Minecraft. I do have to say, like, in a movie with Michael Moriarty to, like, at minute 70 to make a play this hard for the crispy man like that's all that's off to you you have to make do with the time that you're given make the most of it <laughs> because mime cops reaction to they get there they observe uh this the this ritual murder where the victim tries to stop the police and the police kill the victim uh then they get bamboozled by having the helmet thrown at them <laughs> There are so many police here that there is no reason for this man to escape. He should not be able to get up onto the roof and and get away. I don't care if the giant bird is there. 
because yeah. the, the 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 bird comes back and uh you know protects its priest and and uh takes out Powell and does doesn't even eat Powell the the indignity just picks him up and throws him on the ground doesn't like dark <laughs> Um, I mean, modern cops' reaction is, uh, it's meant for the books. It's, uh, I think that's the only reason that Powell died is so we could get mime cops' reaction. (laughs) It's, uh, you know, in a movie that's not very subtle, uh, really, uh, you know, again, like I said, makes it makes a play for that crispy, yeah. Um, but uh, you know, speaking of uh, spoiler alert, alert for the section, Jesus Christ, our fucking crispy winner is Michael Moriarty. Like Crispin Glover, <laughs> award for acting excellence. Like, come on, come <laughs> is on. it going to be the the Moriarty from now on? <laughs> I mean, it's ooh, I don't I don't know. It might be like an honorary. Like, it might be like one of those things where like uh, a posthumous name change. Yeah, <laughs> for a year or two. Um, Speaking of him, we get the scene back where, like, uh, the the in the Chrysler building, they go up, the they find the egg and not the bird. They they shoot up the egg. We get like a jump scare up there, and this is where the lousy contract comes into play because, uh, well, we 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 didn't get the bird contract. Contract was for the bird. You're out of luck. Yeah, uh, that wouldn't guarantee it on anything. Uh, the worst up, contract. But, like how how on yeah. earth. Here's your money back for the coffee, though. Yeah, some real, real ice cold stuff going on here. <laughs> um, but yeah, this that 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 that's where it's interrupted because they they do the Powell breakaway while uh, Shepard thinks the bird's gonna come back. Um, which of course it's going to. That's like that seems like such, <laughs> such a bullshit thing. <laughs> like that's where they got the bird. They found it. Why, well, it wasn't here it when we got back? here. <laughs> It's like they they really they were ready to give up on it immediately, despite the fact that they found a baby one and killed it. And all the bodies. Yeah. Like nothing to see um, here. <laughs> Clearly, this is not the right spot. So, you know, Jimmy's life has fallen apart. He gets uh, kicked out of the apartment with Joan. I. I love the ramp up of like he's getting his heart broken and he's sad and he's just like, well, I'll come back for my clothes or, or maybe not. I just throw him in the fucking incinerator. Got to got to hold on to some of that power that he got. Yeah, because she says like, hey, I saw I saw you once you thought you had a little bit of power and I didn't, I didn't like what I saw. Um, so now we got our like our full-on giant monster portion of the movie. We got the giant monster assault. We've seen like glimpses of the of the creature before, but this is like the sequence of the movie where we're getting the most giant monster getting shot from machine guns and the steeplejack uh crates outside the Chrysler building and mm-hmm. killing cops and throwing them off the building. Did this, I... did this, did this scratch that itch enough for you? So some brave men and women in this law enforcement unit to go outside of the building inside of a bucket to fight this giant monster. Well, the building was under renovations and there were guys that worked in those buckets who were renovating. And I bet they'd like to be in a movie. 
<laughs> that's like another Larry Cohen mantra that's great, where it's just like, uh, like, oh, we're gonna need a crowd for this scene. Well, just th- those people over there. Who doesn't want to be in a movie? <laughs> I mean, on, you you don't get if you don't ask. <laughs> um, they eventually are able to to gun gun the bird down. The, the final death blow, of course, getting delivered by Shepard as he's bravely leading his men, and the monster peers its head in, and he chills it full of lead, and just the underplay just. <laughs> pretty pretty great from uh from carity in here that's um even the the creature even dies on top of like a pyramid i don't know what building this is but the yeah. a, a a building with like a very aztec pyramid roof to that it. was i think that was the building that they like busted in on to catch the guy who was committing the murders the one with the Statue of Liberty on it? I don't know. Fucking who yeah. knows? Who cares? <laughs> so there's this weird like climax after this where uh, Jimmy Quinn's like in a you know a cheap hotel room uh, when the the priest who had escaped comes in and comes after him. And I don't know what his thought process was here. (laughs) Well, I love that it's like basically the priest's prayer is like, okay, you're going to have to want to die. Uh, Do you? I'm I'm going to hold you you at knife point. You got to want me to do it. Well, I don't. (laughs) (laughs) If you don't want me to kill you, I'll kill you. But not until you want me to. Um, He's really like, he had no answer to that. He's like, no. He's like, Come on. <laughs> well, I think what I love even more is it's not even just like, I don't want to die. It's like, uh, I, I ain't got no reason to live. And he's like, well, you need to say the prayer. And he's like, oh, I ain't never said my fucking prayers. <laughs> Fuck you. Piss that's, on your prayer. That's the line he's not crossing. <laughs> prayers and taxes. <laughs> Fuck that. I love it's like imagine you're like this priest and you're like, oh, I lucked into finding a third guy who just wants to die. Okay, just say this prayer, please. Oh no, fuck you. Are you are you suggesting that he wasn't looking for this man in particular? Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean just of of his victims. Like the, the they establish a like a little bit that he's like the first victim had like traveled basically for this. Yeah. Um but they don't get like you said, they don't get into a lot of like I thought for, the story uh, for a hot people. minute that the, the people at the museum were going to be in on it. Yeah, no, no, just there for some exposition, some background, some, just I'm sure, like, Aztec guys. <laughs> <laughs> um, then the priest, uh, the shepherd kicks in the door and we get like the Jason Voorhees, like, he keeps <laughs> popping up from the bed. The priest dies hard. <laughs> the shoot him like, like five different times. <laughs> um, before are the, the end of our movie where, of course, there's uh, the, the, uh, the Godzilla 98. There's another yeah, egg. Yeah, an egg. <laughs> egg here. I don't know why there's another egg in a place where the monster never was shown to be or cared about. 
but you know, it's <laughs> for for the sequel. Um, there there is no sequel. Um, but yeah, we 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 popped through this movie. I. I love this one. Uh, do you want do you want to go up on the sales floor? Is there other stuff you want to talk like about before we get into like sales country stuff? Let me. Uh, I don't think there is. Let me let me look at my notes here and see if we got. Yeah, I think we got everything. Okay. Okay. Uh, I, I I I love this movie. I love that it's like a a monster movie like character study that it's like a the through the lens of this like small time criminal wielding the power of like knowing like. How, how to stop a, a citywide crisis and like running into like the corruption. I think like a, on the Facebook group, I, uh, I will recommend other movies to watch with the movie that we do. And I recommended shit Godzilla. And it's like, mm-hmm. I think that's how I, my favorite kind of monster movies where it's like about the inevitability, maybe not just due to, the creature being unstoppable, but being like the, the mechanisms we have in place are so red taped and bureaucratic and and set up for failure that we, we, they are. Yeah. That, that there's not a, uh, you know, it's, it's very morally gray and it stops, it stops like the progress from happening. I think like it's, it's also got like, you know, it's a working class schmo guy at the center of it. I appreciate kind of that, 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 you know, small time nature of it. And I think the, uh, the effects are definitely very 1982, but I don't think they're like, especially knowing the limitations and like the budget and the fact that they had to like kind of Frankenstein these effects together because right. they didn't film them the correct way. Right. <laughs> um, I think they're fun. I think it's a cool creature and it gets the point across. Um, yeah, it looks, it, it looks good enough in like a Harry Housen kind of way. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's, you know, that's the kind of stuff that he loved anyway. So that's kind of what he was going for. Yeah. Um, I don't think he would have wanted like a, like a CGI monster. If he, even if he, you know, maybe he would have, cause that would have like brought people in the door. Cause they made this movie more money. 1982. What? Yeah. <laughs> Um, CGI back then was stupid expensive. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I love that it's like a, we haven't done too many of these yet. But these like real like late seventies, early eighties snapshot of New York. I know I make the joke sometimes of New York plays itself, but it really is like if they'd filmed this in Vancouver, it would have it would have not you know sorry Vancouver, but it wouldn't have like the character unless they were like specifically trying to set it there and not just be like generic city USA. Like it often fills in for, um, it's, it's got like, this is, this is where Larry Cohen's from. And this is like, he knows all the the spots and he knows how to shoot the city. And like, you only have so much money, but you've got these locations. (laughs) I think it, it, it works really hard because of that. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, Curious delving into, you know, kind of more your wheelhouse, what you, uh, what do you think of my favorite, uh, or, you know, top three, maybe big monster movie? Um, I, I don't think that I can rate it that high on my personal list. Uh, it is, it is going to be a sale for me, but okay. Okay. I'll take, but, um, I mean, it has, I think we, I talked about a little bit earlier. It has 
a lot of the trappings of some of those older monster movies, um, you know, for, for the good and the bad. You know, I I like it for being so similar, but I also dislike it for the reasons that being so similar is not necessarily a positive. Okay. Um, I, I glad it, glad it's a sale for you. Glad you enjoyed it. Um, so let's, uh, let's, we already, we already did our, our crispy here. Um, I just, you know, officially announced Michael, Michael Moriarty, sir, you, uh, you can, you know, scream evil dream at me anytime. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, this, this just, I, I, I do eventually want to do the stuff because Michael Moriarty's in that too. And it's like, it's such a different performance, but it's like as many choices, <laughs> it's just different choices. Ah, choices. Um, <laughs> yeah, unfortunately mind cop cannot, cannot stand withstand the hurricane of Moriarty. Um, so let's talk a little bit about next time. Um, I was I was uh, scrolling through the the stuff that's available, and I realized there was a movie that I was I wanted to do uh, a couple of years back that um, wasn't easily available, and now it it is on HBO Max. Um, I would like to go back and do Karen Kusama's uh, Jennifer's Body, so I, I uh, will be doing doing that one for next time. Yeah. That's fine. I seem to recall. I remember I liked the. Uh the fill-in movie we had instead of Jennifer's body that week. Yeah, we did. We did the invitation, which is, uh, um, I, I love both those movies, but they're very different films. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to doing that one. Um, before we get into the, the business stuff, is there anything you wanted to shout out? Anything you're digging on? No, I mean, not really. Uh, just kind of, grinding away here haven't really had time to to find something new to latch on to uh i i've been playing a little bit uh i, I always get to games a, a couple years late but playing uh, uh metroid dread and uh enjoying that one yeah yeah it's uh you know definitely a a throwback for if fans like of uh, the the Game Boy Metroids or Super Metroid, the, the, the 2D ones. It's a, it's a, it's, if you like that, it's a good version of that. Awesome. Um, so pretty, awesome. pretty fun one. Cool. Um, so let's, let's get into the, the business stuff. Um, something I, I kind of wanted to try out a little bit, you know, that there's that, there's this, this, I already gave the, the, the read up top, but you know, it's, if there's other place people out there who want to advertise with us, maybe maybe there's some more. Maybe like because we already kind of did the one for for Pornhub. Like, hey, were you aware that there's pornography? That should be that's, their tagline. That's one. Yeah, <laughs> here it is. Um, yeah, the, the uh, if you want to reach out to us, please do so. You know, maybe for for future pitches uh, to our email at selling the scream at Gmail, our uh, Facebook group, uh, selling the screams to answer our robot questions. We'll let you in. Um, if you want to, uh, go on to Twitter, I think every tweet now costs Elon Musk, like at least $15. So the, the quicker we can just like, uh, punch through the rest of his wealth to, uh, you know, shoot dumb memes while he fires everybody that actually makes things work. That would, you know, I'm not saying to, uh, 
to do that. I'll say not, not, not do that. You can reach us there at, at, at scream selling. Be the change um, you want to see in the world. Yeah. Yeah. Be, uh, let that sink in. Um, it, it does say here, uh, I, I'm looking at the, cause I, I always encourage people to leave us, uh, reviews on, uh, the, the podcast of your choice. Uh, the, the, uh, the bad reviews though, apparently just get a jukebox blues plays over, played over them. So just, you know, you don't, you don't want, that's embarrassing. You know, you, <laughs> you definitely don't want that. <laughs> anyway, uh, join us next time as we do Jennifer's body. Bye-bye. Bye.